right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Kickback Podcast. I'm so excited again for our next guest that we're going to have today, Raja Shara, and she's a program director of product design at Drexel University, but she's also a assistant professor at Drexel while also being one of the co-chairs at IDSA and so focused on industrial design. She's also the former co-chair of IDSA's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Council. And Raja is also an industrial designer with an extensive background in museum, exhibit design, and healthcare design. And she's also passionate about ways that design can make a positive impact on social inequities at the intersections of health equity, the environment justice, and STEM education, or STEAM education. And Raja studies the ethical implications of design and technology through her research and her teaching through the lens of science fiction, speculative design, and social entrepreneurship. And she also advocates for neurodivergent um, conversations and implications of design through her own experience. Everyone, just welcome the amazing Raja. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for you to be here. I, oh gosh, this is also an excuse for me to just have another conversation with you because I feel like we just don't really have a lot of conversations, but we see each other in the wild through the world of social media. Yeah, no, it's always nice to just talk to other design fans, design geeks, other Black women who are killing it in design, and also people who are just out in the world trying to make it better and easier for everyone else to participate in this amazing power that we have to change the world. So thank you for inviting yeah, me. Yeah, and I I think you just have such a nuanced like role and work that you do in all these different spaces and how they just intersect in very amazing ways. And we're going to get into that real soon. Um, but first, one question that I've been asking is like, what's your or what has been in the past, present, like your go-to kickback outfit? Probably my favorite kickback outfit. And gosh, it depends on the can I can it be weather dependent? Sorry. Most definitely. But it's about context. I think when the weather is cooperating and I'm not necessarily drenched in sweat, I like anything vibrant colors. I love a lot of color. I love a matching hoodie sweatpant that's printed or a bright color, usually bright primary or secondary or tertiary color, <laughs> anything with a nice print. But I just love the idea of a hoodie with a nice, you know, kangaroo pocket that I can slide my hands into. And then it's everything is matchy matchy, like head to toe. But I have an obsession with rainbows, uh, not rainbows necessarily, but like all the colors at all yeah, the time. So like, together. Yeah. Yeah. My glasses are multicolored. My shoes tend to be bright colors or multicolors. So it's. I want someone to be like, something matches. I want someone to give me that comment. Um, but also that's what I want to see. Like, I don't know if I were able to observe myself from the outside, whatever, I'm just hanging out with anybody or hanging out around my house or just like chilling or even at work. I always want to be comfortable and I always want to like make myself smile. And sometimes if I sketch myself in the mirror. I'm like, oh, those <laughs> colors are happy. So then I'm happy. Um, yeah, so that's it. And I, I actually bought a couple of uh, track suits from a brand called Dressed Enjoy, 
Um, and just that idea of being dressed in something that brings you joy, even if it's pajamas, is like amazing to me. But also nothing constricting, everything baggy and loose. Yeah. I I really love that. I really, really do. First of all, I, I've seen many of your styles before. And I I love how vibrant like every single outfit that you put on, whether it's for like a speaking sort of engagement type of thing, whether it's just you being you like going out, it's just very colorful. Yeah. I think the designer uniform when I was growing up, I remember everyone when were everyone wore black. And I since like growing up, once I was in college, it just seemed that all the architects that were that when I went to Georgia Tech growing yeah. growing up as a designer, as a baby designer. Um <laughs> I was in the College of Architecture. So that's where the industrial design program was situated. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the architecture professors wore suits and black, head to toe black, black, yeah. black, black, everything. Um, and the design professors were a little less uniform, but they always wore like a button down shirt or a plaid shirt and khakis. A lot of dudes that were teaching. Um, and the women that were taught in the program were also very monochromatic, very black, except for the art history professor art and design history professor joyce medina and she was like walking out of paris fashion week every day week you know amazing shoes everything unique you know color pattern just the texture and material and i always was like oh so a woman college professor can just dress however she wants so once i became a grown-up and actually like left college i was like i'm just gonna wear whatever the heck makes me happy whenever i want yeah. Um, but I always just felt sort of in the back of my head, I was like, I'm dressing like Joyce, which is like never wearing the same thing twice. Um, even if it's just like a mix up of th- patterns and colors, yeah. but also it was just, just this, this spotlight of joy that was like walking around campus. And it seems to me that to this day, people seem to subscribe to some sort of like uniform of like, you know, monochrome, neutral black yeah. clothes. Yeah. But I noticed that when I walk into spaces where there are a lot more diversity um, yeah. than colors and patterns and everything is sort of celebrated and like, you know, you, you're wearing, you're dressing the way that you feel. Um, and the people that take that ownership, like, I don't know, it just gives people permission to dress like themselves. I know people co- comment to me, they're like, oh, I wore this thinking that you would, you would appreciate it. And I was like, you don't have to wear that thinking. Why don't you, do you appreciate what you're wearing? And of course they do. It's like something that's been in the back of the closet that makes people smile that they thought they couldn't wear to a professional event. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad that I, my non-fashion fashion sense gives people <laughs> permission to show up in professional settings wearing fun colors and prints and yeah. these things. I think like, and can we take a moment to just like appreciate like, first of all, women professors and like those that like really show up as they are because I had a professor like that too in undergrad where like her hair was like always different colors she was always dying in different colors her outfits were just like very vibrant very colorful again I think that's like the designer creative in us um but it like made me feel more comfortable as I got older now kind of coming into myself of like oh, wait, I can wear this. I can try out all these different things. And I mean, I'm probably the most unconventional like p- 
person in terms of outfits that I wear to work, but it's still like appropriate. But like people know like, oh, this is Zarya's style. Like this is her and how she shows up and it looks really good. And I think now majority of my clothes are thrifted. So it's like, you, it's, you never know like what you're going to get. It's not from like a direct place every time. Yeah, no, I think that the the role of role models, like, you know, we always think of role models as professional people yeah. that are representing how we want to show up in a career. Yeah. Um, and and it, maybe it's about, you know, our presence or about our work or the quality of our work or the impact of our work. But like, you know, role models in terms of like how you are seen and how you see yourself can be in so many different ways from like people that crack jokes as a in class you're like oh we can crack jokes like that's amazing right it's like it gives you permission and you see like there are pieces of every single professor that I've had not that's not true that's a complete lie there's some people that I can absolutely rejected <laughs> I'm never going to teach that way but there's aspects and personalities from like teachers and friends and colleagues and um you know bosses that I've had that you know you pick up on different parts of the personality that really resonate with you, mm -hmm. um, whether or not it's because you find some sameness there yeah. or you find in their individuality, there's parts yeah. of your own individual personalities that you're like, oh, they're allowed to be weird and kooky in this way. So therefore, and it's worked out for them. So yeah. I will also be myself more in the same way or express this or share more about this part of my life because it's, something that I respect in this other human being. And I think that's one way that you can sort of see yourself in a role model, whether that's a role model in the sort of traditional way or just, mm -hmm. I just, I study people a lot. I don't know, like being neuro neurodivergent, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, what, what do I have permission to do? Like, you know, I know how I want to be, but like, what, what does society think is acceptable? And I think people who are genuinely themselves, I often gravitate towards. Yeah. Uh, it feels good. And I think like when you see that, like when you see other people living their life in that way, like it feels like you don't have to ask for permission. We I talked about this in the last episode of like not asking for permission and knowing that it's okay to kind of just do things and being comfortable in that decision that you're making because it's something that brings you joy. It, it takes you to you know that next step or phase of you know evolving or this new version of you I think when people are naturally comfortable and you're able to relax and when you're able to relax you can and I don't mean like necessarily physically relaxed you can still be doing things and working mm -hmm. but there's a piece that comes that allows you to be more creative that yeah. allows you to tap into an energy where you don't feel an anxiety like you should be doing something else, where your natural impulses to act in a certain way, whether that's design, create, make change, rest, whatever. Yeah. If you feel like you have full, full permission to do that, I think our natural tendency as humans is to do things that bring us and other people joy. And if that means solving other people's problems, that means creating that means sharing, that means being in community, then I think that's where our drive to make the world a better place and advance society across however many millennia we've been on yeah. this on this planet comes from, right? Yeah. And I think that 
that the lack of pressure means that we can have more intrinsic sort of ways that we push forward. Whereas if you are always feeling like you need to conform or you're not doing something right, or there's like overwhelming anxiety to do something differently. Yeah. Then I think that that's where creativity gets stifled. Right. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the relaxing into oneself and being at peace with oneself. And if that means the way that people dress or act or behave or, you know, whatever goes a long way in giving us room to actually do things together and do things well. Yeah. I love that so much. I really do. Before I jump into, which we kind of already started this conversation on like healing and joy, but like, before I jump into that, what would be something that what's a playlist or like, what's a song that you would play if you had control of the music at a kickback and, you know, no, no pressure, but like, I'm going to take this and add this to our, our kickback playlist, essentially. Okay. So I never have a favorite song. I never have a favorite anything because everything's contextual. (laughs) (laughs) No, true, true. But I have found that anything by Missy Elliott, I'm pretty excited about. So like, uh, I forget the walkout song in softball. I don't know if you are like, I guess your listeners probably played baseball or softball, but I guess, you know, some games as you're like, they're announcing, you know, the player that's going on to the pitch, you know, they're, they're walking out to some sort of song and I'm like, get your freak on. (laughs) That just brings like another level of like energy anyway. So probably not so super appropriate, but no, we're throwing everything in 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 the whole playlist and like what's funny about that that you mentioned is like you hear that song in the most randomest places like it just pops on and then like the whole vibe and energy changes as soon as you hear that song and I've heard it at very public events (laughs) yeah no I mean you know you don't go through every single lyric that's not sort of like (laughs) I wouldn't say you know what I mean but it's everything like the instrumental start to it you know I don't know very much so it's just like so rich and like layered um and it just like I just start like my whole being starts bouncing from like toe to head right and then brings me to this space of like familiar I think it came out like when I was like a senior in college or graduating college um my undergrad so like I I always joke around with people I was like I feel like my taste in music or my 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 knowledge of pop culture in terms of music and like who sings what probably peaked at 20, 2001 because <laughs> so like I graduated from college and I was like that's all that's all she wrote that's all I got and every I'm nowadays I'm like who sings I don't think I know who wrote anything past 2001 I like these songs I like this music but anything past that I'm just like clueless about it's just something I enjoy but I, I'm very knowledgeable and I could kick anyone's butt in trivia or quizzo up to 2001. So, <laughs> so, so maybe it's like, maybe that's when Missy peaked in my mind, but it's that song, Get Your Freak On, is like my favorite. Um, uh, it's, my, it's my go-to, my go-to jam. And if it makes you feel any better, like I don't know half the songs that play anymore either. I mean, there are songs that I really love and then I have to like, shazam it like shazam has really changed my life because half the time i don't know the name of these artists and then you know i look it up on my phone and i'm like oh oh that's who sings it oh, okay okay that makes me feel so much better <laughs> i was like do i just have a block 
I think I've talked to other people and they're like, yeah, I think sometime around college, because you know, you're saturated with music because you're sharing it. Yeah, you know, at that so, yeah. time, streaming music was just kind of getting started. We were like sharing things over like LimeWire and I forget all the other like Ill- like illegal Napster, right? Um, ways that we used to like download and share music. But, yeah. you know, we had CDs, we were making each other mixtapes or mix CDs back then. So you were in like this environment where you're always sort of learning from other people and their taste in music. Yeah. I remember being introduced to Buena Vista Social Club. Um, so like, you know, range of music is so eclectic, especially like what in like when you're in college. And then once you leave, you're like, oh, I guess I only know what's cool based on what media tells me is cool. And they just throw things at me all the time. But yeah. it's not, you know, something about the knowing where you heard it first or who shared it with you first is so yeah. exciting too. So yeah, and college was that special time. It's very memorable. I mean, just to add this in, like, like last week or a couple of weeks ago, I went back to my alma mater, like um, A&T and my mentee, she participated in a Kappa Alpha Psi beauty pageant. And during the beauty pageant, they had like these little brief admissions and stuff. And they would just play, they had like a DJ, they would play music and people would just like dance and get up and move. And you're like, some songs obviously were just like universal where everyone just knew because I mean, it's played all the time. And then other songs, I'm like, I have never heard of this, but like everybody else around like knew. And it was a moment of like, wow, okay. I kind of miss this just a little bit. Like, you know, that kind of community sort of energy and vibe of like you discovering music for the first time, or you just, you know, uncovering like, this new side of you and you know that's in a collective way but that's music's point in society. i mean music as an art sure we can we can like think and marvel at the mastery of it yeah like as a piece but the point of music is it is the the soundtrack of a culture right mm-hmm. uh, it is an opportunity for us to first of all come together and i mean think about like just songs right folk songs whatever that means folk you know but songs um hymns all these things it's a way for us to like communally come together not just to recite it but also to come together and song in a way that is like intangible yeah but like in moving emotionally it like resonates through the body can come out in movement um there's so many amazing ways that like music can sort of drive community and people come together around it but also embedded within that is song and story and history um even if the history is just like from a rhythmic standpoint not necessarily Mm -hmm. from like a lyrical standpoint actually doing karaoke on friday my friend's 50th birthday party um and we stayed late and did um karaoke just down the street from here. And it was just so great to just be belting out songs, getting the lyrics wrong, even though they were on the screen. For every song that came up, it was just like the whole the whole place just sort of like erupting and just cheering on people. It didn't matter how well, there are definitely people who are very talented, you know, that you're less like, oh yeah, this is, 
this is you like trying to capture ride a wave that you probably wanted to ride <laughs> like high school you know that you're gonna make it big and you didn't but they have those kind of like voices that you're just like oh okay so this is this is like a professional thing that you do that you're just coming in here um to just embarrass everybody else around but <laughs> even those folks you know would be singing along with like the worst singer in the bunch um and it was just it's just so fun and it just it people that you didn't know their names, you know, you're, 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 you're singing to you, catching their eye, cheering them on, you know, it's, you know, arms wrapped around each other, just, just because of the, the enjoyment of just being able to like come together with song. So it's, I, I'm a big fan of karaoke. So that's, it's fun because of that, I think, but I think music being that sort of driver is so nice. Yeah. I mean, you made a really good point, right? Like how music tells stories it tells history it you know invokes this sort of community aspect and I mean that's kind of connected to a lot of the work that we're both doing but specifically you like as it pertains to not only with you know your students but also with like the work you're doing around STEAM education with the you know with the girls that you're working with and I think like your span of work kind of like interweaves history and the importance of storytelling and just like all of these aspects of like building a better future while also kind of like keeping the foundation of what currently existed yeah no I mean that's the so the beauty of so we have a program that I think we keep debating if it's been like it's been six years or seven years um black girl steaming through dance is this like transdisciplinary program at Drexel that I started with other faculty, other Black women faculty at Drexel, from education, computing, and dance. And it really is about that identity formation that is culturally embedded. You know, we're focusing on culturally sustaining pedagogies, you know, using dance as sort of like this linchpin to bring together these STEAM uh, skill sets and STEAM knowledge and STEAM identity formation and STEAM being this thing where people, students themselves see themselves as designers, see themselves as dancers, see themselves as computer scientists or coders or programmers, or and know that that's available to them from a standpoint of I am or I want to be, yeah, um, and yeah. not this like mysterious sort of like career path that seems aspirational or unattainable, but it is you can identify as that as a young person. And you know, I always think about, you know, when we we're first talking about this, I was like, self concept. Like, what, what do we really mean by that? And I always go back to the notion of people who identify as runners or not. It's like people say, well, I run sometimes. And some people will say, well, I am a runner. Yeah. And, you know, people from the same point of inclusion saying, like, if you run at all, you can call yourself a runner. And like, who has permission to call themselves something, right? And when do you feel like you have permission to identify as that thing? And at what level do you need to perform before you can say that? It's like, I love to sing. Do I call, am I allowed to call myself a singer? I love singing karaoke. Like, I love to dance to get your freak on. <laughs> am I allowed to call myself a dancer? Like, is there a level of performance that I have to achieve or a degree that I have to achieve before I'm allowed to assume that identity, live in that identity and perform at that identity? I would have a level that I give myself permission to do it. Mm -hmm. And I find that so many of us like wait to call ourselves something or 
if our job title doesn't match it, then we won't. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, students will be like, well, I'm a design student. I'm not a designer until they have that degree. Right. Mm -hmm. Or until they have that job. When the yeah. job title doesn't say designer, if it says a designer versus a design researcher, people are like, well, I'm a design researcher now. I'm not a designer. It's like, but you still design stuff. Right. Exactly. And it's like, well, I mean, I'm only designing like methodologies and the PowerPoints and objects that people can use and test with, but like, I'm not really like the designer on the team. But that's and design. That's design, right? So like we don't call ourselves things because society has made it so specific to a degree, a credential, like a title, like what it says on your on your job description or your resume. And I think really for so many of us, these roles are really about the way that we show up in life as well as at work. Mm -hmm. um, and so even like young kids, you know, you meet kids and they're like, well, I'm a, I'm a designer. I'm a fashion designer. You're like, oh, you're designing your own fashion. It's like, yes, I have my, I have my own podcast. I have my own blog. I'm a blogger. You're like, and now, and it's so great when you, when you, when people are given permission to claim what they are, claim yeah. that identity, but also in a way that builds that confidence so that once yeah. they get into a place where they're questioned, like, well, you're not really, you're not really an industrial designer if you haven't designed this kind of product, right? Or you know, you're saying you're in technology, but you're not really in technology. You're more in design. Or mm -hmm. do you do like do you code? For, do you program and code from scratch, or are you relying on you know different sort of like you know block coding systems? Right. People are always going to try to minimize mm -hmm. um, in some ways, and especially I feel like that's experience as a black designer or just a black woman in any space. Yeah. Right. People are questioning your credential, your history from mansplaining to just straight up gatekeeping to just, you know, macro, macro aggressions, not microaggressions. Macro. Right. That just come into questioning who you are. It makes you want to question like, wait, do I not belong here? Yeah. So like that, the program that we do is we definitely want to get people to like practice and do all these sort of STEAM related um, activities as they're going through this after school and in school program. But more than anything, we want them to be able to stand up and call themselves what they are, whenever yeah. they feel like it, and have yeah. that 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 sort of that backbone that comes with being surrounded and uplifted by a joyful community of Black women. You know, telling you you can be anything you want to be. Um, yeah, I mean that that's really powerful. It's it's almost like you're allowing them to like take that power back, or not even take the power back, but like know the power that they have. Because a lot of times, like, I think that sort of boxed in, you know, ideology and way of thinking, especially like in the corporate space, like, it's really aligned to power dynamics, right? Like, if you don't have this credential, or you are not showing your title doesn't show like, it kind of equates to the amount of power that you can have in the conversation in the room. And if you're actually able to execute or have a say in the decisions that are being made and just where you are on the hierarchy. So I feel like a lot of times that's how they align or see where you can sit within that hierarchy. So I don't necessarily think that it's based on titles or experience in that type of way. And I think the more that we acknowledge our power, the more that like it's easier for us to answer those hard questions and for people not to question us. Yeah. Claim your power. Like that's, 
that's what I want everyone to feel permission to do is like own that and claim it and respect other people's power at the same time, but also be respectful of the fact that titles should not necessarily dictate power, right? Power is owned, but should be shared. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that, you know, we talk about this sort of patriarchal and you know, white supremacist society that we live in where power has been withheld, you know, for so long. And anytime that people step up to try to claim that power, that's when it gets held on too tighter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we're sort of seeing that happening in the last, I would say five or six years where we're starting to see power being, being claimed by lots of marginalized folks who understand now their value and the power that should belong to them. And the natural reaction to that is we see power being taken at every level of society from the government to, you know, in the classrooms to all those things. But eventually that power is going, that those power dynamics are going to shift in ways that are going to transform the way that the world works, our educational system design as a, as a field. Um, And it's an exciting place to sort of witness. It's also very frustrating to be in, be in these positions now, but I would say this, this is a natural part of like the rhythm of the way that the world works um, yeah. is, you know, power, power shifts and power dynamics are going to shift. And so I guess I'm training the next army of power takers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So much. Go to part two to listen to the last part of this podcast conversation. Hope you enjoy.